Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered the season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online is where the game starts. Hey, hey, hey! Let's start locked on MLB. You are locked on MLB. Your daily MLB podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Locked On MLB, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. This is the daily podcast. We talk about all of Major League Baseball. I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Those of you watching me on the YouTubes, you can see that you can call me Sully. I'm going to adjust my seat right now. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. Hey, for those of you who don't know who the heck I am, I am a podcaster. I've been doing this for over a decade. I've been Emmy-nominated television producer. I've been a comedian, an actor, a writer, done all sorts of things, but I just love me my baseball. Maybe you saw me on HBO Sports. I don't know, but you're listening to me now, and I'm here. It is, uh, we're recording this on the third day of August 2022, the aftermath, kind of like when you see the, the city leveled after a Godzilla film. That's what the baseball landscape looks like right now after weeks and weeks of wondering what's going to happen in the trade deadline. We all know what happened. A lot of names that a lot of us don't know, I don't know, and you don't know, but Lindsey Crosby of Locked On MLB Prospects knows, and he's going to be my guest here today. Hey, thanks so much for making us your first listen as we're available on all your free podcasting catchers. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at Locked On MLB Pods. I'm your pal, Sully. Oh, let's put that caption back up again. Follow me at Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. So, yeah, as what happens every year, uh, we see a lot of players traded in exchange for prospects. Prospects. And a lot of times, it's a bunch of nobodies who get traded. But not this year. Some big names got traded, including the Juan Sotos of the world, but also some big prospects got traded. And so, let's just get right to the chase. Hey, uh, Lindsey Crosby of Locked On MLB Prospects, welcome aboard on this crazy day post-trade deadline. How are you doing? Uh, one, I'm glad to be back. Two, I am just about exhausted because in the same three-week span, we had the MLB draft and the trade deadline, and prospect people like me need a nap. Yeah, well, <laughs> by the way, though, I was just going to say is we're dropping this uh, kind of in the evening of the third there were a lot of day games that were played. Uh, the Rays wound up edging the Blue Jays 3-2, which meant a lot because guess what? The Red Sox, the White Sox, and the Guardians are nipping on the Rays' heels right now. Uh, the Phillies beat the Braves, and the uh, Mets, actually in a strange situation, played a minor league team in Washington called the Nationals, and they jumped ahead to a 9-0 lead, and they held on to a 9-5 victory. The White Sox, for all their troubles, are still only a few games out. The Red Sox, for all their troubles, they're only a few games out, but they lost to the Astros. The White Sox wound up beating the Royals. The, the Orioles are still hanging around. They doubled up the Rangers 6-3. to three. The Twins are still holding on to the AL Central, but only by their fingernails. As guess what? Shane Bieber won and over the Diamondbacks 7-4. So we're starting to see some of these races tighten up a little bit. And we can't have the old, well, they'll make a trade to fill in the gaps because the trade deadline's come and gone. This is the time of the year where you're like, all right, boys, go get them. 
go get him, Tiger. So, Lindsay, um, you were like one of those stockbrokers or the, one of those commodity brokers were running around as information was flying around the, the uh, stock exchange, uh, the, the papers flying in the air. Uh, what was the most exciting and exhilarating thing about yesterday's madness? Honestly, the most exhilarating thing for a prospect person to me was to have a trade the size of a Juan Soto trade. I just absolutely cannot fathom having something that big happen. I mean, having Juan Soto change teams is... There's not really a, a comparison for the size of a trade required to move a guy like a Juan Soto. Um, and and I, that's the, you're kind of like the baseball history guy. You've been watching baseball for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want you to go back and think about 2007. Right. Okay. Great year, right? Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was, it was, I always like to call it, that was uh, last call at the bar. Because that was kind of the last real hurrah of the steroid era before things started breaking down. It was a wonderfully exciting year in baseball. Uh, and in retrospect, it was the end of a very strange era. But yes, it was a fantastic, fantastic year for baseball. Yeah, there were there were two giant trades that year. I was trying to find a comparison to uh, this Juan Soto deal. And I had always just kind of given out the... The Herschel Walker trade with like between the Vikings and the Cowboys was the closest comparison I had to Juan Soto. So in 2007, two giant trades, the Tigers and Marlins get together and that's the Miguel Cabrera and Dontrell Willis trade. Right. And the Tigers actually only ended up sending two top 100 prospects. Now they sent, um, they sent six total players, but they only sent two top 100 prospects and Andrew Miller and Cameron Maven. Of the other four prospects, none of the other four had significant careers. Uh, That same year at the deadline was the Braves and the Rangers for Mark Teixeira. And this was a deal, three top 100 prospects, Jared Saltalamacchia, Elvis Andrews, and Matt Harrison. And then um, another guy, Neftali Feliz, who entered top 100s the next year after the trade, and then another top 15 prospect. So three top 100 prospects and a future top 100. And that still wasn't as big as the Juan Soto trade. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was It was six total players, four top prospects, and two major league pieces. Uh, so, I mean, I'm sure everybody's listening or has already seen the deal, but MLBer Mackenzie Gore, MLBer Luke Voigt, and then number one prospect, shortstop CJ Abrams, number two prospect, outfielder Robert Hassel, number four prospect, outfielder James Wood, and probably the guy who's been the breakout player of the Complex League this year, number 10 prospect, right-hand pitcher, Jarlin Susana. It's a massive package, and the strangest thing is, you did this whole trade for a guy who is incredibly young and could play for 15 more years. Yeah. Juan Soto is younger than 20 of the prospects that were in this year's Futures game. Yeah, I'm so glad. I've I've made this point several times, and listeners can probably do a shot every time I say this, but Juan Soto is the age of a prospect. He is the age of someone that you were expecting to be included in a package, not be the package. This is not an example of someone who's like in their, you know, about to turn... 
28-29. This is you expect a prospect to be about 22 or 23 years old who is a major league ready player. I'm not talking someone that a like, you know, a high ceiling single A player, but when you say oh, we want a major league ready players, 22-23 years old where you know you got four or five potential uh prime years in front of you. That's one of the reasons why I'm really really having a hard time thinking of a trade of a player of this magnitude who was not on the verge of free agency. I mean, the the Randy Johnson for Mark Langston trade, which a lot of people have maligned the Expos for giving up on Randy Johnson, forgetting the fact that Mark Langston was an absolute ace at that time, and the Expos felt they were on the verge of doing something great, and they said, heck with this, let's put an ace on our team. And Randy Johnson was this big, tall, freakish player with blazing fastball, but was not a a proven commodity at the time. And Brian Holman was probably actually the more uh, heavily touted prospect when you stop and think about it. But, um, you know, but even that was a situation of, you know, Langston was an elite player for Seattle. They knew he was going to walk via free agency. There wasn't a chance he was going to resign with the Seattle Mariners. So they had to get something back from, I have a really hard, and I have a really, really hard time thinking of a player who's a legit MVP candidate. Who's this age. I think you do have to go back to Miguel Cabrera uh, with the Marlins. And I think the interesting thing about both Cabrera and Juan Soto that's similar is they were traded when they were very young and, not traded to a New York or Los Angeles or Boston or Chicago. And both of them already checked win a World Series off their to-do list. When they got you know, traded, yeah. Yeah, they were already – they were very young, seasoned, former World Series champions, uh, which is, a, a again, another unusual uh, resume point for them. Yeah, I mean, both of these guys have – came up around ages 19, 20. When Miguel Cabrera gets traded, I mean, he's a four-time All-Star who is five seasons into his career at age 24. When Juan Soto gets traded, he's a two-time All-Star um, who's gotten you know, runner-up for Rookie of the Year, MVP votes and everything, Silver Slugger, and he's turning 23 in the year he gets traded. And it, it's just, it's it's mind-blowing that you see a deal of this magnitude for a guy this young and this good. There was a piece I read today, tons of stats that pretty much was just like showing the career trajectory comparison. And every single guy in the list for the similarity was hall of famer. Yeah. You know, on base, like Ted Williams and things like that. It's just amazing. But here's the, here's the thing. Cause you know, prospects better than me. I said that there isn't a single prospect in baseball that I would not you know, every team's number one prospect is on the table for even if it's just three years of Juan Soto in their prime, because someone like him can make the rest of the team better, can create uh, a super lineup and give the, I mean, he already earned a ring and he can help get another ring and build another series of great memories for another franchise looking for that ring. And by the way, if you're looking for a ring, may I recommend that you go to BlueNile.com. Whether you're ready to pop the question 
celebrate a milestone moment, or acquire Juan Soto, find jewelry as unique as the one you love at BlueNile.com. Now, guess what? If you're looking for fine jewelry, but you're having trouble choosing, Blue Nile has jewelry experts on hand 24-7, available via phone or chat to help you find a memorable gift at any budget. Make your moment sparkle with jewelry from BlueNile.com. And going on now is the Blue Nile Anniversary Sale. Save up to 40% on classic fine jewelry pieces and 25% on engagement ring settings. Plus, every order is insured, ships for free, and arrives in discreet packaging that won't give away what's inside. Shop stress-free and find your forever piece. Go to BlueNile.com today. I want to bring up a couple of, uh, uh, I guess, scenarios or questions regarding some of the teams that went trading. I think there's a big difference between tanking and trading to replenish your farm system. I think what the Oakland A's have done since the end of last year, they've traded away about six or seven proven major leaguers, and they brought in around 16 or 17 prospects into their system. It just seems whether it was Montas, Manaya. Olsen, Bassett, no matter who it was that they were putting in onto the trade block, they weren't just getting a good prospect back. They were getting a quality prospect and volume, which sometimes is almost as important to sort of flush your farm system out with with teams uh, with some of the team's uh, top prospects. I want your take on what the uh, Las Vegas A's are doing in terms of a what looks like is a fast track to yet another rebuild uh, going on, which in the team that I hope stays in the East Bay. They are one of the three teams that I think has really done a good job. And I'd probably have them 1A, 1B uh, with the Reds as far as making sure that you get compensated in both quality and quantity for the pieces that you're selling. Uh, I've been very impressed with the return, whether it was making sure you got Shea Langoliers when you made the Olsen trade with the Braves. Uh, you know, just like every single deal, it feels like the A's have have gotten multiple players and they've been very good players. Um, I think that it's a little early to say that every trade that the prospects they picked were the right guys. Um, Christian Pache was a kind of a throw-in with the Olsen deal from the Braves, and it didn't necessarily work out that well. Uh, but Oakland has done a very good job at maximizing these guys to get prospects that have high ceilings, prospects that fit in well with what the team is trying to do, and that are not blocked and can get playing time rather quickly. And I've been very impressed with with some of their moves so far in the last year or so. Yeah. Um, it's funny you brought up the Reds, because I was wondering what the Reds were up to um and they did get back quite a, a lot for both castillo and molly is anyone from their hall you look at going like oh wow i, I didn't expect them to to you know to jump in there so they got 10 prospects back from their trades three of those prospects were like among the best seven guys that got traded i loved the return for the tyler molly Trade, I think they got three really good guys. So they got infielder Spencer Steer, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 
utility guy can play anywhere in the infield defensively, offensively, contact-oriented bat, gets really hard contact, or makes really hard contact. He's a um, he's automatically a top 10 prospect in this system. Um, Christian Encarnacion Strand, third baseman, he's one of those massive power types that you, every minor league system seemingly has one or two guys that if they connect, they just absolutely crush a ball. He's one of those guys, tons of raw power, is probably going to be uh, third baseman or first baseman for them in the future. And they got a really interesting pitcher, lefty Steven Hadger, uh, in the Tyler Molly trade. And then when you turn around and you look at what they got for Luis Castillo from the Mariners, they picked up four players there, uh, two of which are, are top shortstops. Noel V. Marte is a top 100 prospect in baseball. Uh, he came over. He'll probably have to move to third base or to second base or somewhere else, but that's mm-hmm. fine because they got a second shortstop in that deal. Uh, you know, who is also a, a um, absolutely, I'm sorry, what was the... I've got the name right here. Of course you do. You're Lindsey Crosby. Um, wow. Um, Sorry. Anyway, so they got two shortstops and two uh, and two pitchers. And the point of this is, like, they now have four, like, four or five different prospect shortstops: uh, Brandon Barrero, Ellie De La Cruz. Um, you know, just guys that are no doubt shortstops now. And if you see a right-handed throwing position player on the field, they probably started their career off as a shortstop or a center fielder. Right. And right. so having three or four guys that are no doubt defensive shortstops means you can fill out just about your entire team now. Uh, you know, your corner outfields, your center fields, uh, your other positions around the diamond with players. They did a really good job of getting a good haul uh, for the players they shipped out. Yeah, and I think in some ways – when you look at how did a team do come trade deadline, in some ways that's one that's one of the reasons why I brought up the A's. I'm glad you brought up the Reds too. Is sometimes putting players from all different positions and just flush putting it through your your farm system. Uh, to me, that was one of the things that Houston did in the early 2010s when they were trading everything that wasn't nailed down, mm-hmm. and we saw that they got good prospects back in their trades, but they also got quantity too. And that means you're going to have a strong system that you're passing your players through. Hey, talking about a system that has a lot of players, including ready-made play or ready for the major leagues level players, I predicted that St. Louis was going to be the landing spot for Juan Soto. One of the reasons why I did is Carlson, a lot of other players who seem to be you know, should be on a major league team, that they're ready. And that I thought that, that St. Louis would be able to put together a package that would appease Washington or maybe do a thing where they include some of their top prospects and uh, take Corbin's contract, do kind of like what happened in the aforementioned Miguel Cabrera trade, which was With facilitated Dontra by Dontra Willis's deal. Uh, another deal involving the Marlins was uh, Josh Beckett, forced the uh the, they were forced to take Mike Lowell's contract and what a tragedy that was as Mike Lowell wound up winning the World Series MVP but I digress um I, I really thought St. I mean St. Louis made a couple of small deals including bringing Quintana and uh making this the strange deal for Montgomery with New York but they didn't make the blockbuster deal which I'm sure makes Milwaukee thrilled 
that they didn't pull off the blockbuster. But I'm just, I'm really surprised because St. Louis has been aggressive in the past, bringing in the Arenados and the Goldschmidts in the world. I thought this would have been the jewel in that crown. What do you think uh, caused them to be a little gun shy? So I thought that they were a great landing spot. I thought they had the farm system to do it. I think ultimately there was two things they were thinking about. Just this is looking not as a St. Louis guy, just kind of look from the outside. Right. Is one, they really, really like their number one prospect, third baseman Jordan Walker. They see him as a guy that is one of those, while he's blocked right now, because you've got an Arenado and a Goldschmidt in the corners, he's a guy that 6'5", 220, looks like he's going to be a 35 to 40 home run power, and he's got enough, um, he, he has a good arm, and he has enough speed where you can move him to a right field or to a left field and get him on, up pretty quickly. And then I think that they were concerned about the pitching. They wanted pitching, they wanted some sort of high-end, uh, starter so that when they got to the postseason they weren't you know they had the elite velo they had the elite spin they had the stuff that you need to win postseason games I don't think Jordan Montgomery from the Yankees was that guy uh, but I think those were kind of the two things some of the people that I were talking to said that Dylan Carlson ended up being the deal breaker the Nationals wanted Dylan Carlson back in the deal and since they're already missing Harrison Bader out with an injury right now uh, they would have depleted the the center field options too much if they sent Carlson in the deal for Juan Soto to which I say it's Juan Soto you can figure it out yeah I, I know that's what drives me crazy okay now, now what was the name of the forgive me the the Cardinals top prospect again Jordan third baseman Jordan Walker right Jordan Walker that was the name I couldn't think of before no pressure Jordan no pressure that you are the person that was not included in a trade for Juan Soto. No like you were in high school two years ago, and now yeah. you're the reason they didn't trade for Juan Soto, but it'll be fine. Just go learn this new position and get used to MLB pitching at the same time. It's fine. I'm, I'm thinking of Jesus Montero right now. And Jesus Montero was being touted as the next uh, uh, Miguel Cabrera, the Yankee. He was a Yankee prospect who was supposed to be this great big power hitter, blah, 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 blah. And the Yankees would not include him in a trade in 2010 with Seattle for Cliff Lee. And that would have all but clinched the, the pennant. And Cliff mm -hmm. Lee was acquired by Texas and wound up pitching the Rangers past the Yankees in the ALCS to the American League pennant. Jesus Montero was ultimately flipped for Michael Pineda in a bust-for-bust bust deal. And, you know, I remember when that trade was made, I never, like, people would point to, well, Pineda was not great, but Montero was not great. So, you know, they were just two busts. They said, he could have been used to pry loose Cliff Lee. Yeah, there's more value in a prospect than just what are they going to do on the field for your team. There right. is the opportunity cost of having this prospect and being willing to move him can get you something else. It's like the it's like going back to the Braves. The conversation for the Braves was not Freddie Freeman versus Matt Olson. It was Freddie Freeman and this level of money versus Matt Olson, a lower level of money for more time and for prospects. And ultimately having the farm system 
none of those prospects by themselves probably would have had the impact on that system that Matt Olson's going to have on that team. But the fact that the prospects were there and they were willing to move them meant they were able to fill that hole for eight years of Matt Olson. Right. Well, and look at, I just say no prospect is worth, is going to be worth Juan Soto now. Yeah, there is. I'm 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 running through the top 100 list in my head, and I'm thinking: Is there anybody on here that I would rather have over Juan Soto? And the answer is no. The answer is no. There's no single prospect. Now there is a scenario where the I I can see the price being high enough where I hesitate, and I think that's what happened to the Dodgers. The Dodgers have a farm system that could have gone out and gotten Juan Soto. The mm-hmm. internet would have exploded, but I think the Dodgers looked back and said, "Here's." what Juan Soto will give us for two and a half years. Here is what we're projecting these prospects and the number of prospects they want from us to get him cumulatively. Like he's not going to be as big of an impact on our roster because of the talent level we already have. And so, but there's no individual prospect that I would keep over Juan Soto. Well, and, and you're basically making a bet. I mean, you're betting that this, this prospect will be worth not acquiring Juan Soto. And that is a wild bet to make. And mm-hmm. that is a long stretch. And if you're going to make any bets, go to betonline.net. It's the fastest and easiest way to check it on all your betting needs. Find your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. Find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports. And do you know what? even golf bet online continues to be the top online resource for all your sport wagering information from live in-game betting scores and podcasts they have you covered head to bet online today use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today bet online it's where the game starts hey we're here with Lindsay crosby of locked on mlb prospects uh before i say a couple things about vince scully there have been a lot of other people who have been uh offering a lot of eulogies for vince scully but i think that uh, I would be remiss if I didn't say something. Hey, uh, Lindsay, who do you think in terms of prospects won? In terms of prospects that they acquired, the Reds won the trade deadline over the Nationals. Because the Nationals got a haul, but they should have gotten a haul because they had far and away the best player to get traded. The Reds had good players to be traded but they got very good return on those players. So from a selling perspective, the Reds won the trade deadline. Okay, there you go. So Lindsey Crosby is saying that there will be a Reds dynasty starting in a couple of years. Go to bet online and put all your money down. Liquidate everything. The strategy but- is all shortstops. Just <laughs> nine shortstops on the field at once. Well, look at um, baseball lost a great voice, literally a great voice in Vince Scully. Um, it's funny, uh, as as a, someone who grew up with a Boston Red Sox fan, Vince Scully's voice was that of our darkest moment because he was the one who was announcing game six of the 1986 World Series. So there were so many years, I like I was 14 when that happened, so I... I only knew Vin Scully as the guy from the NBC Sports uh, and who broadcast my least favorite moment in sports history. Um, so uh, I didn't have a glowing 
memory of, of Vince Scully when I was a kid. But eventually, when I became older, and ultimately when I moved to California, uh, I, I grew a tremendous appreciation. He's one of these trailblazing broadcasters who so many people have emulated. You almost forget that his casual style of broadcasting was revolutionary when he started as a 25, 26-year-old in Brooklyn in the 1950s. Um, if you want a master class of saying wonderful little statements that build up the drama, uh, watch his call of the Kirk Gibson home run. When Gibson comes out of the, the dugout and he says, look who's coming up. And, and you know, and... and it's Kirk Gibson with two bad legs. Like, I remember that. But he didn't say that. Look who's coming up. And you he just, he, he let it, he would let the scene play out. And at one point he says, he's shaking his leg like a horse trying to get rid of a bothersome fly. I mean, just the, I mean, that, a, a fantastic, uh, uh, you know, uh, illustration. And at one point he says to Joe Garagiola, who in my, Joe Garagiola is my all-time favorite announcer. So when you have him in a booth with Vince Scully, you know there's going to be some great, great calls that are made. And then he just says at one point, not a bad opening act. And that's before the home run. And then when he hit the home run, this is one of the things that Garagiola does wonderfully. For all the criticism of Joe Buck, he does a good job of this too. Vince Scully did it perfectly that night. He says, high fly ball to right field. She is gone. And then he let the scene play out. He lays he out. He let the screaming go on. He let the shot of Lasorda jumping up and down. Kirk Gibson doing the arm fist pump and everything like that. And then he breaks the silence when there's the celebration at home plate by saying, in a year that has been so improbable, the impossible has happened. And that's just a great line and summed it up perfectly. But I, I want to address one other thing that I thought was very important and why missing Vin Scully is uh, it breaks one of the illusions of baseball. Baseball has a timeless quality and at its best, it has the past, present and future all happening simultaneously, seemingly. And Vin Scully was the announcer in Brooklyn replacing Red Barber. And so when you think about the Dodgers that he called, Jackie Robinson, Duke Snyder, Pee Wee Reese, Don Newcomb, Roy Campanella, then Maury Wills, Sandy Koufax, Don Drysdale, Steve Garvey, Ron Say, Davey Lopes, Don Sutton, Dusty Baker, uh, Bill Russell, Steve Yeager, Fernando... Fernando Mania, he was there. The great Sandy Koufax throwing those no-hitters. Three and two to Harvey Keene. All those calls were done by him. The Gibson home run. When Fernando threw his no-hitter, he says, if you've got a sombrero, throw it in the air. Oral Hershiser, Mike Piazza. When Manny Ramirez showed up here and everything went bananas. All the way to Clayton Kershaw, the manager of of the Dodgers when he stopped announcing was Dave Roberts. He was there before Walter Alston, who was the first manager before they won a championship in Brooklyn. 
he was the voice. And he ended when Dave Roberts was the manager. And so there was a continuity. And when he was announcing, it was like there still was a connection to Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. There still was a tiny connection to the that tree growing in Brooklyn, that they're Dodgers. It's still the Dodgers. And when Vin left, it seemed like that was gone. And so a person like him is important in baseball lore and for baseball fandom and certainly worth a tip of the cap here at Locked On MLB here. And, uh, and again, other people are going to give more heartfelt uh, eulogies to Vin Scully, but I just wanted to address that. And that was a connection to the baseball that my parents grew up with. And losing that baseball lost a little something today. So very well. Look, there you go. Well, look, you deal with the future. I'm talking about the past, but the present is you can follow locked on MLB prospects. Lindsey Crosby, where can people follow you? So I'm on Twitter at Crosby baseball. My show is on Twitter at locked on farm, or you can get locked on MLB prospects, wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube. All right. And you can follow us at, Locked on MLB pods on Twitter and Instagram. I'm your pal Sully. I'm at Sully Baseball on Twitter. Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. Talking about the present. Talking about the future. Talking about the past. Time has no purpose. We're going through the Stargate with Lindsey Crosby of Locked on MLB Prospects. I'm your pal Sully. Wait. (laughs) I didn't do my normal outro right there. Hey, thanks for listening to Locked on MLB. I'm going to grab me a built bar. Take care.